A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today we've got some court-ordered malicious compliance. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, my parents told me I'd have to pay for half of my car, insurance, and gas. When I was about to get my driver's license in the States, my parents sat me down and told me that when I got my license, they were going to expect me to pay for half of my car-related expenses. The car, the insurance, and gas specifically. What's important to know here is that I knew how excited they were for me to get my license. Both of my parents were working at this time, and the idea of me being able to run quick errands for them or pick up my younger sister from school or her clubs or sports events was really appealing to them. So I thought about it and then told them that I'd be getting my license and then I'd be choosing to not have my own car. Since I was very involved in a lot of sports, I didn't have time for a job for most of the year, so I would just stick to riding my bike to where I needed to go. They definitely didn't anticipate this and knew I was serious right away. After all, the default up until then had been that I would cycle to and from where I needed to go unless I arranged for other rides. I don't remember how long they tried to wait me out, but I think it was later that day when they came back and told me they would buy a car, a crappy one, and pay for the expenses with a few reasonable stipulations. This is honestly just some good business. When you have a commodity that somebody else wants, don't settle for a bad deal, that's for sure. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit that subscribe button down below? That said, our next story is, italicize every single fact in this article? Sure thing. I used to work for a newspaper, and at one point we had a spate of mistakes make it into print. There wasn't really a reason for it, apart from us all being overworked and mildly burned out, just one of those unfortunate coincidences. Anyways, our boss was furious. She put up this board, like those you have at construction work sites, saying so-and-so days without errors. We also had a long-standing practice where copyheads had to put changes they made in bold so it would be easier for journalists to spot the difference. But our editor wanted a better fact-checking system. She told us we had to italicize every fact in our story to make it clear that we checked it properly. Again, we worked for a newspaper. Most of us weren't writing op-eds. We were doing general news. It was all facts. But whatever you say, boss. We started writing entire articles in italics before selectively de-italicizing words and in the... Gotta get all the facts, right? The first time I did that, I got an angry call from this copy-ed who had worked for the newspaper for 50 years, took absolutely no crap from anyone, and was an institution in her own right. They said, OP, why is your whole story so hard to read? Why is it all in italics? Just following orders, ma'am. Fortunately, the boss soon turned her attention to other problems and we were able to return to whatever passes for normalcy in a newsroom. Our next story is, you want multiple tickets? Okay. In the not too distant past, I was working for a large multinational company, European owned, in a small office for large one-off projects. 200 or so persons working under this facility. We didn't even have one on-site IT person. Things just did not get done. The nearby corporate office wouldn't like to dirty their hands and drive out to our remote location about 20 minutes away. They wouldn't even be regular with maintenance items and skip backups, etc. 
user tickets, for example, software issues, licenses, etc., were all moved offshore to a third-party company. This company was based in India and further would hire third parties to work these tickets since they were in the off-shift. It got to the point where we were basically left to our own devices. A couple of us were tired of this. We racked up a bunch of credentials in our off time, including HTML editing and automation. This is important for later. Things a normal company has internal support for and can help out. What we couldn't fix were issues outside of our control. Physical network assets down or remote devices down. Come to find out the third party, using a third party way of handling tickets, got out of hand. Seems some were exploiting the time difference between the US and India and committing some fraud, claiming tickets they didn't do, etc. It was apparently 10 to 15 tickets or so, which amounted to around 2,000 US dollars or 165,000 Indian rupees. Duplicate tickets someone double paid for. So, our support was restricted to one day on site if there was enough trouble. This was unacceptable and it showed. System-wide issues would be addressed, but only if multiple users reported the issue. And since we were a small office, would fall out of the queue and be left behind again. My fellow engineers and I devised a plan. We took our new skills and worked a plan. The ticket submission was a very simple web page. We had some automation software, usually for app testing, etc., and quickly worked to exploit this support stupidity. We had a system issue, everyone in the office reported it as so. Each separate task and resolution was its own group of tickets. Since we had the software, we could mask with randoms and make it seem like people were actually filling these out. One issue could end up with 10,000 tickets in a few minutes. Additionally, we could raise the severity each hour, creating three times the tickets each hour. 30,000 became 90,000 and so on. This ended up at the CTO level within 5 hours, about 11pm Europe time. They, the overlords in Europe, figured out after 4 or so issues to go back to the we fix what's broke and not worry about a few bucks here, especially since it was the vendor's issue that created it. The double third party stuff was stopped and we ended up with a slightly better third party team working our issues. It just doesn't surprise me that when faced with a problem, this mega multinational company solution is to outsource it to some cheap, cheap, cheap third party. Our next story is mini malicious compliance. Me and my partner have an agreement. Any terrible joke made, dad jokes, cringe jokes, etc. told by either of us have to make the next coffee. Now I agree to this, bad decision. Weeks of bad jokes slipping out and me having to make drinks. Now, I decided to find a loophole. So since I love coffee just as much as I love the face and exasperated sighs that are made from bad jokes, I've now taken it as a challenge. Now, I find the worst slash best jokes, thank you r slash dad jokes, I can and say them, enjoying the sighs and exasperation before turning on my heel, skipping to the kettle with glee. Little did they know they signed off their doom via dad joke. This next story is following the court order. This is the first half of a decade-long tale that's currently resolving in a delightful way. Over a decade ago, I came home to find I was being moved out by my wife. We weren't in a great place, but I was blindsided. I was also served with a protection order that stated I could not come home without prior written permission. I had to go through my wife to see the kids, etc. And it was in effect for 90 days. 
I was devastated. A relative connected me with a bulldog of a lawyer. This lady was brilliant and no nonsense. She filed a rebuttal to the protection order, but told me these things take time and were unlikely to see a judge before the 90 days were up. She was very clear that I must follow the court order to the letter. If there was any evidence otherwise, I would be in an up battle if and when my wife renewed it. It only took one day before my now ex needed me to take the kids. I had crashed at a friend's house, so I had no place to take them. So we agreed I would watch them at home. I waited a few blocks away while waiting for an email. X called me, and I reminded her of the details of the order and that I couldn't come until I had permission. This happened twice more that I waited down the street within the first week. So I told her I wouldn't leave where I was staying until I had the email. It was about 20 minutes away. I texted her to remind her. The very next day, she didn't email again. We were planning on me picking up the kids to take them to school since their school was only a few minutes from my work. However, because I had not received written permission, I ran out of time to drive to pick up the kids and then make it to their school and work. She called, furious that I wasn't there. I reminded her about the permission and that I was out of time. She ended up being very late to work that day. She then wanted me to write blanket permissions to come and go as needed, but my lawyer advised against it. Follow the order. The culmination of this was a few weeks later when she again forgot to send permission. Her boyfriend was staying over but didn't have his car with him. They both had to get to work and that was the day I learned that he was her direct supervisor. The ex had to call a friend from work to pick up the kids and take them to school and the friend found out. Of course it got out at their work. Within a week of that the boyfriend was fired over their relationship and my ex was suspended. By this time I'd had my own place so the kids ended up staying with me most days. I later learned that the protection order was the boyfriend's idea. The ex was quite mad about it as it turned into evidence that I wasn't a threat to her or the family. And the judge was quite harsh with her over it when we settled for support and parenting time. She called it intentional and harmful parental alienation. The second half of the decade-long tale starts this way. A decade ago, my then-wife, now ex-wife, began a relationship with a guy and kicked me out of my house. The boyfriend was instrumental in blindsiding me and planning on how to keep me from my own kids. Ever since, I've kind of hated him. I've always been polite and respectful with boyfriend because he'd become my kid's stepdad. But I swore if I ever had the chance, I would get back at him. I figured it would be something petty. But then he gift-wrapped my revenge and I've been running with it for almost three weeks now. My kids are mostly grown now, some in university, some in grades 11 and 12. The uni kids live with me while the high school still go back and forth with their mom. I'm also remarried now. My wife and I each have our own vehicles, but my wife owns and insures a minivan for when we're all going somewhere together. The kids are free to use it too, as only one has a car. We only have one set of keys, so I put an air tag on it. It's a little transponder that tracks its location. I put it on there in case the keys were lost. About three weeks ago, one of my older kids took the van out for the night but ended up staying at his mom's on the couch. Around 7am the next day, another kid asked to use the van. I pinged the air tag, only to find out it was hours away in an industrial section of another town. I was quite concerned why my kid was out there. I called him up and he was at his mom's where he said he'd be. He had no idea the van was missing. I called the police and gave them the location of the van. Within 20 minutes they had stopped the van and the driver said he had permission to use it. 
Lo and behold, it's my ex-wife's boyfriend. The police weren't very interested in detaining him, as it would be easier for him to just drive the van back to our town and we could sort it out here. However, it wasn't my van, nor was he listed on the insurance to drive it. I asked that it be impounded. In Canada, we can't press charges, but I was adamant that this was theft and that I wasn't going to let it go. Since the guy was out of town with no ride, the police did end up detaining him, probably because it was easier. I was given the info for where the van was impounded. Since we had the next day off, my wife and I drove out to the yard to pick it up. When we got there, I first checked for damage since it was sitting a little low, nothing outside. When I checked inside, I found that it was loaded with industrial fasteners and cable. Think seismic mitigation. Turns out boyfriend used my wife's van to pick up stuff for work. My wife turns on her heels and walks to the office. I had a jog to keep up. She asks, who has access to the van? They have the only set of keys, so my wife is assured only her or me. At this point, I get where she's going with this. I instruct them that no one access the van but us. I had $35 with me, so I gave it to them as a tip. They promised me that no one would get in there, and they actually moved the van into a secured area within the yard. Then we went home without the van. We weren't even home from the long drive when I got the first text from boyfriend about getting the equipment. I explained that we left the van, as there were expenses that we were not going to pay. Towing, impounding fees, daily storage. I told him that he'd have to pay for them before I pick up the van. He was super mad and swore he'll pay me back. I said no way. Within an hour, I got a call from his boss. They need the equipment ASAP for a time-sensitive job. I explained that it was impounded and that I won't have time to get it until next week now, and it has to be paid in advance. The boss swears up and down at me. I calmly explained that I didn't steal the vehicle to transport his stuff. The boss was having none of that, so I said I won't tolerate that abuse and hung up. Then I blocked him and his company on every platform I'm reachable on, and that was three weeks ago. Since then, I've been able to make excuses every single time boyfriend tries to arrange picking up the van, often because the kids don't have the van so I have to drive them. Boss has gotten through a few times using other numbers and sent a ton of emails that I ignore, but I did reply and explain that both my wife and I need about four hours to do the round trip and that it needs to be paid for ahead of time, and it's added up. $25 a day for secure storage plus towing and impound fees, etc., Plus, I wanted to be paid for the fuel boyfriend used, as well as our travel. Boyfriend and I agreed on the standard 58 cents per kilometer, and so the boss e-transferred us for the total cost of our driving. By now, the van has made one trip and our car has done two. It came to almost $600. So on Friday, it finally happened. My wife and I drove out and picked up the van. It was prepaid and ready to be released. I dropped off a dozen beers at the office when I picked up the keys and went to grab the van. However, I wasn't going to transport boss and boyfriend's stuff, so I arranged for it to be held at the yard at the same rate as a vehicle, unloaded it, and left right before it closed for the weekend. I got a call from the boyfriend asking when he can come by with a work truck to get the stuff. I told him it's to let the impound almost two hours away, and the office opens Monday at 9. There was only silence on the other end. So I hung up after about 10 seconds. Through this, I've been getting vague updates from my ex, who I've got a good relationship with now. She was livid with boyfriend. 
and was clear with me that any and all consequences were squarely on him. He's kept his job but is missing the next pay increase and is not getting his year-end bonus. X says they're way too short-staffed to let him go, but he's in the doghouse at home and at work. No word on criminal charges for taking the van, but Crown handles that and I'm not suing in civil court. I really don't know what this guy expected to have happen. I guess for the kid to roll over and let them use the van, maybe they assumed it was the kid's van, I don't know. Our next story is, management says I can't wear scrubs in healthcare. So about 10 years ago, I, 35-year-old male now, became a CNA, certified nurse's aide, and worked at an assisted living. In many of these types of buildings, corporate doesn't want the nursing home, so they make their nurses and CNAs. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wear a business casual clothing. Place I was at required to wear a collared shirt and khakis or black pants. Now, I'm a 6'3 male on the skinnier side, and I'd been told that my legs are so long that I look like I'm walking on stilts. That being said, finding khakis isn't easy and I usually need to custom order them, which can be pricey. Also, I'd like to note that this building had hard carpet everywhere and I would end up kneeling down to help tie shoes or do other things while helping out my residents and ended up blowing out the knees on my khakis often. On the malicious compliance, one day, management says that we're allowed to wear appropriate yoga pants that were black or khaki colored, with no reason given. This does nothing to help me in my holy khaki situation. And as I was making $12 an hour, custom ordered pants were very expensive to me. So I decided I was going to buy black and khaki scrub pants because they're cheaper and more durable. I go on wearing them for about a week without issue when management calls me in and states that the policy is no scrub pants and that I would be written up if I do it again. I try to explain the financial situation, that each pair of khakis were costing me most of a day's wage and the knees would wear out quick. They responded with, tough crap, no scrubs. I then grab the flyer they posted about yoga pants and start to make the case that if women are allowed to wear yoga pants, which are much cheaper, I should be able to wear scrubs. Again, they say, no, it's not the same. At this point, I look down and see the wording on the flyer is, as a thank you for your hard work, management has decided to allow all nursing staff to wear appropriate yoga pants if they would like. No gender noted, just that they must be black or khaki and not low cut. Cue the malicious compliance. 
I go home and tell my girlfriend at the time about this and ask her for a pair of her black yoga pants. Just an FYI, she was barely 5 foot 3 and when I tried them on, they barely went past my knees. They covered my butt though, so they worked. The next day I walked into work proudly sporting the high water yoga pants with my hairy calves, stilt-like legs, and black juicy lettering on my butt. I made sure to tuck my shirt in so everyone could revel in my glorious bony butt. One hour into my shift, when management gets there, I instantly get called into the office with my boss and HR. OP, what are you doing? You're not wearing the correct uniform and we'll need to send you home now. I grab the flyer and point out that nowhere did they say that this was only for women to wear and they also didn't say anything about length on it. I then say that they're at appropriate height, put my hands on my hips, do a 180 to show off and smile at them while looking over my shoulder. The boss says, that's not the point, OP. You know what we meant. HR says, actually, that is the point. He's right. You did say nursing staff could wear these and they fit the criteria you put in place. The boss has a wicked scowl on her face, knowing she got beat, but then pauses and laughs. Okay, fine, wear your scrubs, just no more yoga pants. I've already heard the female residents talking about your juicy butt more than I'd like. Go home and change, though. For a long time, I got teased by a bunch of 85-year-old women about when I was going to be showing off my juicy butt and legs again, but at least I got to wear my scrubs. All I can say is, you gotta love a dude with confidence. That said, our next story is, my work shift is 7am to 5.30pm? Sure. I used to work as a photojournalist for a local newspaper. I used to do a bit of everything. There were days that almost all the newspaper was filled with pics I took. The work shift in the newspaper was kind of taxing, as sometimes the work shift went from 8 up to 12 hours a day, depending on the news and things happening in town. After two years here and there, I was assigned to the sports section. Not a big fan of sports myself since I'm more of a computer geek. If it wasn't an e-sport, I wasn't interested. But sports schedule was a bit over the top. There were times when there was pro baseball, basketball, and even soccer in the city I was working at. That without even counting the school sports events, it was tiring as heck. We were two photographers working in the section. But since the other guy was a little old, the editor was more lenient with him. A year into the section, and I was busted. I really mean it, super tired as heck. My wife was annoyed since I was leaving to work at 6am, and sometimes back till 10pm, and at times even later than that. In the weekends, if there were too many events, I surely was working. There was a season when I worked almost two months non-stop. I mean, it was all voluntary and I was paid a lot for it. I mean, monthly I was cashing seven or eight minimum wages, hence I was always available for them. My editor was an old school journalist that was working in the newspaper since day one. We used to joke that the building was built around him and stuff like that. He's a total grouch but sometimes can joke around and makes people forget he got a temper. On baseball season, I was really tired after almost two months working non-stop. There was a baseball game that was going to be held on a Saturday afternoon. My editor called me to his office to tell me that he needed me on Saturday. Since I was totally busted but could really use the overtime, I told him, sure, but for the game, I'll even be in the stadium, and when the game ends, I'll drive to the newspaper deliver the material, and go home. My boss wasn't happy with that. He wanted me all 
day from 7 a.m. up until closing since he had other events. I said no and told him he should call the other guy since it was my weekend off and I really needed rest. Needless to say, he wasn't very happy with that. Afterwards, he was really witchy with me in almost every occasion available, and if I did something wrong, he would scold me like if I were his son. Since sports is a section that was an awkward schedule, I had some liberties with the check-in time and at times I was up to half an hour late. One day I checked in late only to find him right at the entrance waiting for me. He was super pissed. He scolded me for over an hour and after he was done, wrote me up with HR. The memo from HR specified that the work shift was 8 hours and that I had to work from 7am until 5.30pm. No more no less. Enter malicious compliance. From that day on, I was at 7am sharp, not a minute earlier, not a minute later. Sometimes I would arrive early but waited by the clock till it was 7am to punch in, and at 5.30pm, I was out the door. It was already a week abiding by the rules when the editor came to me at 5.25pm. He told me that there was this university basketball game. Apparently they rescheduled and wanted the newspaper to cover it. The editor said sure, and he wanted me to go. I just stared at him. I would really love to go, but as I recall in the memo, HR made me sign. My work shift is from 7am to 5.30pm, and since it's 5.30pm, I'll be seeing you tomorrow. The color from my editor's face went from white to anger red. His voice went a bit higher while he said, If you go, I'll be writing you up with HR. With a devilish grin, I just told him, extra hours are voluntary, and I don't want to do them, and left. The next day, I came in 7am sharp like a good boy, and I sat in my spot. My boss came with a somber face, and told me in the most fake, sheepish voice he could muster, Okay, I guess there was a bit of a misunderstanding with your work hours. Since you work a bit of overtime when required, the management said your work shift is a bit more flexible and you could be a bit later from time to time. I just smiled and said, thanks. After that I went back to work, but not full throttle like before, as I was giving my family a bit more time, and whenever the editor needed some extra hours, he would also ask the nicest possible way. Some companies like to go by the rules, but when it doesn't favor them, the same rules go out the window. Don't you just hate all these workers that don't just give you countless hours of overtime, while also not complaining and still showing up on time every single day? I think this is why they're trying to make machines to replace us. Maybe I'm just an AI. Our next story is another minimum wage malicious compliance. The bunch of malicious compliance about minimum wage jobs reminded me of one from high school. I worked at a movie theater back in the day. On this particular day, I was working as the person who cleans the theater after the movie ended. Usually by the time the credits are halfway through and the lights are on, we start cleaning since most of the people are already gone. You usually get one or two stragglers grabbing their stuff, but never more than three to four people. There's always at least three of us to clean the theater, since they're too big for just one person. So the two of us start at different parts of the theater, and the third is waiting for the stragglers to leave. We clean, move on to the next theater, work as usual. Apparently someone complained that us starting to clean while they were still in the theater made them feel rushed. So they almost tripped leaving the theater. So now we're not allowed to be visible in the viewing room until everyone leaves. We can wait by the stairs just out of view, but enough to see if the room is clear. 
this usually was never a problem, and people stayed visible anyway just to not be in the hallway as guests tried to leave. Well, this one manager didn't like how we were listening to her directions. We were told to not step foot in until everyone left or we'll be written up. Well, okay, more traffic for people to leave trying to squeeze past us while we have cleaning supplies and block a lane in the hallway. Nothing big. Until one day, the best possible outcome. Someone fell asleep during the movie. Well, as directed by our manager, we stood there for the next 30 minutes, watching the guy toss and turn in his sleep. People from the next movie started to form a line. The manager saw it and came in and asked us what's taking so long. We said we can't clean, there's still someone in there. The policy was changed a week later to be that we could help people leave. Reed courteously kicked them out, but we can't start cleaning until the last person left. You know, for a job like this where they come in cleaning during the credits, or they have a rule where they can't clean until everybody's gone, Marvel movies must be a nightmare. I mean, you're almost always going to have somebody sticking around for the post-credit scene, so you're definitely waiting on that one. That said, our final story of the day is Sidekick. Back in the days before computers and cell phones, I was drilling wells in Central Texas for a major oil company, and I had a sidekick. The sidekick was large, somewhat belligerent, and only maliciously compliant. One day we were out in the heat watching a well being drilled and he said, You know what we need? Music. I didn't say anything, but that evening he took off for the nearest city and came back with a very large and expensive radio. I commented on the amount of money he must have spent and he replied, That's okay, it's going on my expense account. There was no way they would allow him to put a radio on his expense account and I told him this. He just smiled. So when we got back to the headquarters and filled out our expense accounts for the trip, he showed me his. The radio was on it, and he turned it in. He was called into the manager's office and was loudly told, You can't put a radio on your expense account. It'll have to come off. I heard this clearly as my office was right next door. The second largest corporation in the world was actually very liberal with our expense accounts, but there were certain things that they would just not stand for. Radios were one of them. In those days, we used paper expense account forms that had horizontal columns for days and vertical columns for item types, and we made corrections with liquid paper or whiteout. So about an hour or two later, he brings me his revised expense account. The radio is gone, but the total, which was in the bottom right-hand corner, had remained exactly the same. Meanwhile, every other dollar figure on his expense account had been whited out and changed. It looked to me like they'd all been changed upward. So he took it next door to the manager, and the manager looked at it and said, you've taken out the radio and changed things, but the grand total is exactly the same. To which my sidekick replied, yes, it's in there, but you're going to play heck trying to find it. They gave up and cut him a check for the whole amount. Part two, My sidekick wasn't the best of spellers, and neither was anyone else in Central Texas. So one day, when a vehicle got stuck in the mud and he had to go buy a winch from a gas station to get it out, he didn't notice that the receipt was written on a plain vanilla receipt pad, and instead of winch, it read wench, as in wench, $75. I, feeling a bit malicious myself, didn't bother to point this out to him. So when we got back to headquarters and turned in our expense accounts, 
there was a cash item on his expense account labeled wench for $75 with a receipt specifying that attached. We dropped them both off with our manager together and I went next door to my office to quietly wait for the certain explosion to come and it was perfect. Our manager saw wench $75 and yelled out, darn it, I knew that those sons of witches were doing that but I never thought any of them would have the darn gall to try to put it on their expense account. I'm wondering, would it not have just been smarter to just space out the cost of that thing to begin with? Or is revealing that they hid the radio and all of the other costs the point? I'm not sure. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely awesome story of malicious compliance, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.